This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Once again, have your Bibles handy tonight. We're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture. If you are taking notes, we're going to encourage you to pick up from where we left off last time. We began looking at the certainty of a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, that is my conviction. That is our doctrinal position as a church. I do recognize that there are those that hold to other positions uh, based on what they study uh, in the Word of God. Uh, and uh, they're not enemies. Uh, they have that right before the Lord. Uh, but I hope that what I share tonight will shed helpful light on this subject. Uh, and the backdrop of what we're looking at is this whole issue of covenant or Reformed theology. And I would welcome any interaction with you about that. I had some interesting interaction last week because my mother called me. And we, she's probably listening tonight, and I'm going to get called again. But uh, we, we had an opportunity to talk about these things. And her question was, are those synonymous terms, Reformed theology, covenant theology? And I, my answer to her was a dogmatic, mostly, <laughs> uh, because not everyone who is Reformed uh, follows a system of theology that is based on the covenants that we see in the Scripture. Uh, but many of them are, and we have tried to instruct you on the fact, uh, and it is a fact, that so much of what happens uh, in the Reformed mind really goes back to the Reformers who, again, were coming out of Catholicism, had been recently saved, had no other help to go on but to go back to the Scripture and, and to interpret it literally, to tr interpret it the best that they knew how, uh, despite the fact all they had known in their training was allegory and the church's traditions. In fact, Reformation was just that. Many of them thought if we can just stay in the church, we can reform the church. And guys like Martin Luther realized the church wasn't interested in reformation. And so later in life, formerly Catholic priests, all of them, came to Christ. Martin Luther, for example, seeing that the just shall live by faith. It's faith alone. That's, that's how salvation happens. But then they tried to work through these other issues. And in fact, some of their disciples even saw it more clearly than these reformers did. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the life of John Calvin. Even some of his disciples were willing to follow the Scripture literally and believe it or not, they were persecuted by the one who had led them to the Lord. All right, so that's, that's 
the reformed mindset. And, and, and again, the discussion I had with my dear mother uh, went along with, so they interpret the scripture literally uh, in, in many cases, but not completely. Uh, mostly they'll interpret uh, the scripture literally. Uh, but even practically, then you get to words in the Bible like baptize. Well, does baptize really mean baptize? Well, it, it depends. It could mean sprinkle or no, 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 no. It means baptize. But, but why can't they get there? And by the way, how many of you have discovered infant baptism in the Bible? Okay, except for Brian Tarkenton. Nobody else is just, I know that was an accident, Brian. I, I, okay, all right, all right, all right. I've heard that affects hair growth, but we won't even go there. All right. Okay, you all know infant baptism, not in the Bible. Well, unless you allegorize, then you can find it in the Bible. Okay, all right. So one thing that I'll say about those who are who hold a mid-trib position and, and other positions related to eschatology, at least the ones that I know and I've interacted with, they do interpret Scripture literally, except that there are passages that they look to where, where they move the timeline a little bit, but but I'll give them credit, they, their approach uh, to scripture, scriptural interpretation is right. All right? We, we take God literally for what he says in his word. Now let me give you a biblical principle of interpretation. You've heard this, this is not original with me, but one of the things that's important about interpreting the Bible is you interpret scripture, you take the more obvious the clearer passages to interpret the harder passages, right? And, and that's, that's essential. And as you compare spiritual things with spiritual, uh, I believe that, that that will help you come to a conclusion. But I will say to you, as I've studied the Word of God, there are passages in Ezekiel, in Matthew's Gospel, I'm not exactly sure where certain verses plug in. But having said that, there are enough other clear passages that it, there's no doubt left in my mind about what the Scripture is teaching as far as the doctrine of end times. In fact, what is next in our Lord's timetable for His church. So let's review... Last time, as we looked at the certainty of a pre-tribulation rapture, I mentioned that the critics of a pre-trib rapture will often say that this is a new doctrine, that it wasn't around until the 1800s, and we took time uh, to debunk that because you can go back in church history. The church fathers even, uh, within 300 years after the apostles, and you can see their writings. Some of them just recently have been uh, interpreted, 
because uh, scholarship has gone to some of these writings that we didn't know what, what some of these church fathers said. And, and they were stating, they were teaching a pre-trib rapture. And so Roman numeral one, early church fathers taught a pre-tribulation rapture. And I, I gave you examples of that. Uh, one of the main ones, Ephraim, uh, uh, the Syrian. Now we can see what he taught and what others taught about that. And of course, I believe, and we'll see this a little bit later tonight, the uh, writers of Scripture clearly taught it. But we want to spend our time this evening with Roman numeral 2. The Scriptures teach a pre-tribulational rapture. Ryrie is correct when he says this, the emphasis of the New Testament Scripture writers was on the imminency of the return of the Lord. Imminency, end quote. This is the strongest proof of a pre-tribulation rapture. But remember, we're going to have to take Scripture literally in order to see this. So let's talk tonight first about the doctrine of imminency. Turn to John 14, please. John 14, notice verses 2 and 3. Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death on the cross, death, burial, resurrection. In his teachings, they're becoming discouraged because they're hearing what he says. They don't really like what he says. Um, in fact, they oppose what he says. Uh, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to die. Or if you do, I'm going to die right along with you. In other words, I'm going to do all I can to prevent this from happening. But Jesus teaches them this in verse uh 2, John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to the earth and receive you. Oops. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He does not mention that he's coming to earth but that he would receive his church unto himself. Now, this is consistent with what other passages teach. It's significant that Paul introduces his teaching in 1 Corinthians 15 this way, and I'd like you to turn over there. I want you to see these passages. You know 1 Corinthians 15 as the resurrection chapter, right? Over and over in chapter 15, Paul will say, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now look down at verse 51. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So what's the mystery? Here it is. <coughs> Excuse me. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. There's going to be a group of believers who will not know physical death. Instead, 
Titus 2.13 tells us that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Titus 2 and verse 13. So going back to 1 Corinthians 15, all this will happen, verse 52, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Now this is where some of our brethren will say, well, it happens at other times uh, as they try to define when certain trumpets are going to sound. My conviction is what Paul is talking about is the last trumpet the church is going to hear. All right, someone has said that as the church, we are not looking for signs, we're listening for sounds. Been reading through the Gospels, and if you're reading through your Bible this year, just finished Mark, we're into Luke now, and, and the Lord has a lot to say about signs. But he even warns us when these things become, come to pass, be careful because the end is not yet. During church history, have there been times where they have seen signs of the times, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars? Has that happened? Absolutely. I believe that God allows those things to happen to keep his church poised for an imminent return. I don't hear two generations ago those who were alive during the Second World War talk about what they were thinking when it came to eschatology. But you have an Antichrist who is destroying Jews at every turn. Uh, it looks like the good guys are losing. And what did the Lord do through all that? The bad guys lost. And the nation of Israel, when everything's being restructured, the nation of Israel now becomes a nation. And here we are. All right. Has anything changed as far as the imminent return of Christ? No. No. But we are reminded in 1 Thessalonians and then again in 2 Thessalonians that there was a church that was having a terrible time. So you had Christians that were really struggling. Now remember, there is another Antichrist. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the, the emperors of Rome who were requiring self-worship. Okay. What were they doing to the Jews? destroying them. Titus, Jerusalem, AD 70. And by the way, when some Jews fled down to Masada, well, they chased them down there, and they, they took care of that too. And so, and so there were things happening in the empire where Christians could say, people are saying the Lord came back and we've been left behind. Maybe they're right. Now let's just pause for a moment and think with me. Why were those in Thessalonica concerned? Because they were expecting an imminent return as well. Okay? 
We're still here. In their minds, what the, listen, what the apostles have been teaching is he's coming back and Christians are going to disappear. We've been left behind. Now, this had to encourage them. They get a letter from none other than the apostle Paul. Well, Paul's still here. That's good. Okay. And in both letters, he's instructing them about an imminent return, but hadn't happened yet. 1 Thessalonians 4, look at verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, where? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So everybody settle down. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. You're good. Now, the first letter helped, but it took a second letter. The Holy Spirit decided, Paul, write him again. And all this truth, again, helps in their minds to help them understand things are really bad in the empire. There's a lot of opposition to the truth, the gospel. Okay, They hate Christians. They hate Jews. But Jesus hasn't returned yet. Now, the Lord gave signs of the times to Israel in Matthew 24. And I think it's important, again, as you study the Scripture, to realize who was the gospel of Matthew written to? Well, it's a wonderful help to the church. Yes, it was written to the church. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. But who was the gospel written to intended audience? Help me. The Jews representing Jesus as king, all right? All this kingdom teaching, the kingdom of heaven is like. So you need to take that to these texts where Jesus is teaching his fellow countrymen, the Jews, this is what you should be expecting. And of course, you see references to the tribulation there, but then specifically in the book of Revelation, you not only see events, but would you agree with me, you see a literal timeline. These judgments, and then the last of these judgments unfolds another whole set of judgments, and the last of these judgments Another whole set of judgments. And, and while these judgments are happening, I, John, at this same time, I saw in heaven. Now, what all did he see in heaven? Well, one of the things he sees in heaven, the church. All right. So these events would precede the coming to earth that would negate all imminent return. So, if, if these are strictly things that are going to happen before, uh, before Jesus takes the church out, if these are things that just uh, happen on earth, then with that specific timeline, here's a point. You could, you could be on earth, watch the timeline, open your Bible, and know exactly when Jesus was coming back. Here's the thing. You're, that's not an imminent return. 
halfway through the tribulation. All right. The abomination of desolations. The time of Jacob's trouble. Okay. Three and a half years. Oh, look, armies are invading Israel, the valley of Esdraelon, and they're marching towards Jerusalem. Okay, Jesus is coming back to earth. Here's the problem. When he comes back to earth, who's coming with him? The saints. Okay, so with the timeline that is literally taught in Scripture if, if we are part of that timeline, imminency goes away. Let me ask you a question. Did Daniel in his prophecy teach a literal timeline? He did. 70 weeks. Some of you were in here with Dr. Yoho months ago last year, and you heard him give us that specific timeline. And how do we know that that timeline is fulfilled literally? Part of Daniel's literal timeline involves the revealing of Messiah and him, Messiah being cut off. It happened exactly in those weeks that Daniel predicted. Now, if it happened literally where Messiah is cut off, should we not take the rest of it literally when Messiah is coming back but if we do that and we should do that then once again once I get into that timeline it's not an imminent return if I can set my clock and I can set my calendar to the things that the Lord predicted would happen so we don't look for signs we look for sounds 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. In the original language, right now, he is purifying himself. It's continual action. Why? Because he continues to purify himself because he continues to look up. Henry Thiessen said this in his book, Will the church pass through the tribulation? Let me just quote Thiessen, the theologian. He said this, quote, The Lord had taught them to expect his return at any moment, and so they looked for him to come in their day. Not only so, but they also taught his personal return as being immediately. We may say, therefore, that the early church lived in the constant expectation of their Lord and hence was not interested in the possibility of going through a tribulation period in the future, end quote. Now, besides the doctrine of imminence, there's a second truth that points to a pre-trib rapture. Here it is. Number two, the work of the restrainer. Excuse me, what am I referring to? Well, the Thessalonian believers were living with fear that the rapture had taken place. We already saw that. Paul sets their minds at ease by listing several events that accompany the day of the Lord. Let's turn now to 2 Thessalonians 2. Here's that other important letter that 
The Holy Spirit has Paul write to reassure these believers. 2 Thessalonians 2. Again, for sake of time, I'm going to move quickly, so follow along. The events before the rapture include a falling away. Chapter 2, verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who is the man, the son of perdition? Help me. Antichrist. If you are asked, when does the tribulation start? It doesn't start with the rapture. There's a falling away, and then the man of sin is revealed. Okay? So, that's when you start the seven-year clock. By the way, Christians, do you realize, how many of you think seven years is a long time? Not, okay, some of the younger said, yeah, yeah, not, not those of us who are older. Do you realize that at any point the trump could sound and we could just be over seven years away from Jesus sitting on a throne in Jerusalem? Isn't that exciting? All right. So a falling away, what's that referring to? The apostasy. What is the apostasy? It is turning away from abandoning truth. This sobers me because I can go to the Internet. I can see former pastors. I can see kids that were raised in good, solid churches like ours who don't believe in God, don't want to have anything to do with God. What, what is that? It's apostasy. Okay? At the same time, it also refers to lukewarmness. What's the last church that's named in Revelation 2 and 3? Laodicea. What did God say to that church? I have somewhat against you. You are lukewarm. I would rather you were hot or cold, but you make me sick. That's what he's saying. So their love had waxed cold, all right? Uh, lukewarm. Now, I personally believe that you can take those churches. Those seven churches represent churches in every age of church history. But I do believe they also represent a digression in the church. And that as you watch that digression, you see Jesus standing outside the church and knocking to be let in. You also see this lukewarmness where people just don't seem to care. Can I share something with you I think that's illustrative of this? Do you know that after we elected in this state, Governor Yunkin, do you know that in the next election, and it's documented because we have those in the state that are watching this closely, do you know that 700,000, probably mostly Christians, didn't show up to vote again? Don't look at Richmond and say, well, you know, it's too bad. So, no, no, it's because the church is too preoccupied with other things to be salt and light. In the last presidential election, 80 million professing Christians didn't show up to the polls. Why? Well, some of them are 
foolish enough to, well, we don't like President Trump's tweets. Would you please get over that? Look at policy. Israel, pro-life. And I'm not going to keep going down that road. But the point is, we're distracted. We are not looking up. So there's a falling away, apostasy, lukewarmness. And then it says this, the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, the son of perdition or, or destruction. Be careful what you hope for. When the world hates God and doesn't want his rule, they're going to all follow another ruler. They're not going to like that. The son of destruction, verse 7. And then the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. All right, so if you follow that timeline, again, some would say, well, that's the order. There's the apostasy, uh, the Antichrist is revealed, and the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. I believe that the restrainer is taken out when the church is taken out. Where does he reside now? In believers, in the church. So as long as the Holy Spirit is here on earth within his church, sin and Satan will be restrained and the Antichrist will not be revealed. Remember, these are the days when Jesus is building his church and what did the scripture say? The gates of hell shall not, what? Well, if the Antichrist is ruling, hmm, that's problematic. John 16 8 to 12 tell us that the Holy Jesus said, I'm sending my spirit who will convince the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. That's the work that he is doing. Why is sin not just steamrolling over everything? The restrainer. If he lives in our hearts and we enter the tribulation, here's the question, what's he restraining? Daniel 9.27 states that the lawless one will be made known at the beginning of the 70th week. Again, that's, when it's gonna, that's what's going to kick off the tribulation. Now, there are a host of other reasons in Scripture for a pre-trib rapture, but this final one I think will suffice for our purposes. I hope this is helpful. Let us see the doctrine of the church. All right, the work of the restrainer, the doctrine of eminency, but then the doctrine of the church. The unity of the church with Christ, I believe, will prevent her from going through the tribulation. Daniel's 70th week, Daniel 9.24, is about God dealing with his people Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Because the focus of the tribulation is God's judgment on man's rebellion, and is programmed for Israel to turn Israel back to himself, there is, listen, no reason for the church to still be here and be involved. Our purpose is done. For the proof of that is that when missions takes place during the Great Tribulation, it's not the church that's doing it. Who's doing it? Scripture tells us 144,000 Jewish missionaries. We are also told, Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Again, Revelation 3, who's the Lord talking to? The church. You've kept the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. 
the hour, that, that big one, the hour of testing. Now, wait a minute. That has to be distinctive from all the other tribulation that the, the epistles tell us. They that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. and we, we have all this instruction. What's different here? This hour of testing. Tribulation. Which shall come upon all the world. It's not isolated. It's not just Roman Empire, and it's not just Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and it's not just Middle East. All the world to try them that dwell on the earth. All the earth. So do you realize that after the Laodicean church is mentioned, Revelation 3, the word church is not used again until Revelation chapter 22. Jordan Ballard also observes, quote, in the account of the second coming to earth in Revelation 19, 11 to 21, it is surprising that there is no mention of the rapture of the church. The saints appear to already be with the Lord when he returns clothed in white linen, end quote. So let's close. Other reasons for a pre-trib rapture could be given. Uh, if you have Dwight Pentecost book, Things to Come, I think Pentecost lists 32 reasons for a pre-trib rapture. But the teaching of Scripture, and I believe the teaching of the early church fathers makes it clear. Christ's return is imminent. Our basis for what we believe is simply this, the literal interpretation of Scripture and the distinction between the church and who? Israel. All right, class, let me try that again. The church and Israel. Okay. So the certainty of a pre-tribulation rapture is clear, I believe, from the Scripture. But here's the bigger question. Are you ready? Am I ready? Because I believe we are living in the time of Jude. What comes before Revelation? Jude. The time of the apostatizing. Anybody sensed any of this? Oh my. Oh my. Somebody has called the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. Go read the book of Jude. It's the Acts of the Apostates. Okay, And so, it's kind of like the doormat before you step into Revelation. We need to be ready. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for parables that remind us we need to have our lamps trimmed. That remind us that at a time when we don't know, not, not associated with any timeline in Scripture, the bridegroom can appear. And so, Lord, help us to be looking up. Those of us that have this hope in ourselves, purify ourselves as we yield to you, even as you are pure. But, Lord, we also need to be busy telling others before it's too late.
Give us the grace to do it. Help us to love the world as Jesus loved the world. In it, but not of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.